as I started looking at this, I started thinking, this is what I expected. This is a financial institution that has a whole different set of laws that have to be applied to what they're doing. What impressed me, though, as I was looking at this is it was relatively clear what I was looking at. There was a lot of it, but it was relatively clear what I was looking at. You've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. You're kidding me. Get out of here. No, I'm not kidding you. That's really in your EULA, and that's what we're about to investigate. This is Mark Miller, and I'm not a lawyer. But I am curious as to what I've committed to when I press the accept button on the app I just downloaded. Even though I'm not a lawyer, hey, my friend Joel is. Hey, I'm a lawyer. I find the issues we talk about on this podcast to be interesting. But under no means am I your lawyer. At least not yet. Joel and I are going to explore popular app and site EULAs. We want to determine the legal obligations you're agreeing to when you set up an account on, say, YouTube or TikTok or one of the new chat engines. It's kind of geeky, I know, but we're going to have some fun with it. So stay with us. We're talking about doing Schwab today. You said that the financial securities terms of service isn't a different ball game than the other stuff that we've been talking about. What are you referring to? I think it's very different because the securities industry is highly regulated. They have that overlay with respect to mandatory arbitration. Some of the service oriented that we've been looking at with respect to other models, and I'm not so convinced it's apples to apples. And as you can imagine, you go through this document, which is some 67 pages in length, and a lot of it speaks to what I've been talking about generally, the kind of security angle of this that I think puts us in a whole different milieu in terms of regulations. I'm not disputing that some of the language is oppressive, but I think it also comes from a very different place. I'm not in disagreement with you. As I started looking at this, I started thinking, this is what I expected. This is a financial institution that has a whole different set of laws that have to be applied to what they're doing. What impressed me, though, as I was looking at this is it was relatively clear what I was looking at. There was a lot of it, but it was relatively clear what I was looking at. And I think that's important because this is really intended to be consumer friendly because effectively, I think it has to be. We have all these disclaimers, for example, about margin calls and short selling and all of that because they need to make these disclosures. One of the provisions in here talks about investment advice. This is appears at subsection 28. And these are the kind of consumer-friendly disclosures I think they have to make. It says, you agree and acknowledge, you being, of course, the account holder, and these terms would apply upon creating a self-directed account under the Schwab brand. It says, unless we otherwise agree with you in writing, Schwab will act only as your broker dealer and not as an investment advisor. And your account will be a brokerage account and not an investment advisory account 
governed by the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. That's important because what they're saying is, we're not an investment advisor. You're creating this account. It's going to be entirely self-directed. When Robinhood came out a couple of years ago, there was some buzz about it. I was admittedly one of the subscribers that thought that this was going to really revolutionize the securities industry. It was a mobile app. It was very easy to use. It allowed people like myself who like to dabble in the market but don't know much to execute trades. And I like the fact that it was a kind of a clean interface. Before, when I was growing up as a kid, and not that I knew a lot about the securities industry, but it was a black box. Only people in the know and with some degree of wealth traded. And frankly, I didn't know anything about it. I do like the concept of these self-directed accounts, which of course now are at least 30 years old. It's a democratization of the investment industry generally. There's a lot to be said for that. So I was one of those suckers that invested in Robinhood when it was an IPO. I still hang on to it, perhaps under the mistaken belief that it's going to bounce back. Getting back to this provision, though, if they are an investment advisor, that's a whole different can of beans, right? Now they're purposely advising you. That doesn't mean that it, they advise you. And if you take your advice and things go south, you have a cause of action as a consumer. That provision, among others, jumped out at me because they're trying to clearly delineate, this is your bag, man as opposed to somehow holding up responsible as being an advisor. Yeah, I got that too in several locations. There's also some funny stuff in there that I literally laughed out loud when I read it. If you look at section number five, use of account, it okay. says, you may not use your account or any account-related service to process gambling transactions. And I'm thinking, does that mean that if I go to the casino, and I've got $50,000 in winnings, I can't deposit it into my account at Schwab. That has a very specific meaning in the minds of the drafters. I don't know as someone on the outside what that's intended to mean. Now you may say, but Joel, isn't this intended to be to any user of an account? Yes, I have no idea what that means. And I appreciate it presents a problem. I have to wonder though, whether this is what they're getting at. I certainly don't gamble a lot these days, and I am certainly a neophyte when it comes to online gambling. But what I do know is that in some of these online gambling forums, you have to pledge, right? In other words, the way it works is you've got to, I believe you have to make a deposit into your account to obviously wager the amounts that you want to wager. I suspect what <laughs> the case is that securities laws preclude a security acting as essentially a guarantee in connection with a gambling in other words, you can't pledge a security, is my guess. It's interesting because I assume that's what they were saying. Right. But that's not what they said. <laughs> There's a difference there. I just don't know enough about securities to know what that means. But the gambling thing is to process gambling transactions. That's going to be something specific that either is spoken to in the law or which they've got in trouble for before where someone I'm sure has used their securities account as a backstop to a wager. Here's the other reason, if you think about this logically, and again, I'm completely out of my depths and I may be 100% wrong on this, but one of the reasons why you probably can't tie a security to a gambling debt is that gambling debt is fixed. I paid $100, I lost, and now I owe $200, whatever it is. As you can imagine in the stock market, there's never a fixed amount until the time that you sell the security. The value of that security is constantly fluctuating. 
which I suspect is one of the reasons why either internally or from a regulatory perspective, you can't pledge a security in connection with a gambling debt. Okay. I've got another one too that I laughed at because it's like, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> Meaning in section number four, it's farther down. It's a subsection four. It's called financial market information, no warranty. It says that you agree that neither Schwab or the information providers nor the information transmitters shall be liable, that kind of thing. And they say, we're going to put you in front of information that was done by analysts. Here's the key for me. Agreement not to contact analysts. You agree not to contact any individual or analyst who is an author of or who is named on any research project or any representative of any information or research provider. How can you tell me not to call somebody? Let's play a game. Now, why do you think that is? We can play a game. I don't know because I know that dealing with Gartner for two decades, I always have access to the analysts. I can call the analysts and talk to them about what he said in his report. Here's why. You contact the analyst and the analyst turns around and gives you advice. This whole self-directed account now has now suddenly been transformed. You've made the analyst an investment advisor. I can see that now that you said it. However, that still doesn't make it legally for me to not be able to call the guy. It is if you want to use their account. <laughs> we talk about this almost every show. You can contract away your rights. They can't preclude you from contacting the analyst. But what they can then do, should they discover it, and I'm sure they have their own internal protocols, where the analyst is told on the other side, if anyone ever contacts you, you are to say nothing and immediately hang up and report them to us so that we can terminate their account. Hmm. That provision, I guarantee you, is designed to protect Charles Schwab from a consumer action in which someone like you or I said, I read the report, I contacted Joe Smith, and I said, Joe, are you really sure that I should be investing in this South Korean steel operation at this point in time? You really think this is where it's at? And Joe says, yes, man, dump it all into Usan Steel, okay? And I do that, and it goes belly up, and now I turn around, and I sue Charles Schwab, and I sue the individual analyst, and I say, I read the report, I double-checked with him, he said this was golden, it wouldn't fail, and now all of a sudden, Charles Schwab is on the hook for damages. Okay. As always, I don't agree with it, but I understand it. The reason I wanted to do this show is Swab bought TD America a while back, and just this last month, they started rolling all the accounts into Schwab. So first of all, TD Bank stands for Toronto Dominion. As a Canadian, it's one of the five big banks in Canada. And about 20 years ago, they started their foray into the U.S. market. They were ahead of other Canadian banks at the time. Because you may remember, at least 20 years ago, there was quite a disparity between the Canadian and the American dollar. The Canadian mm -hmm. dollar was trading at roughly maybe 66 cents. That's right. TD Bank came into the United States, acquired some of the smaller banks, and now had that influx of U.S. cash, which on its Canadian books really had a nice value of being a third more than its own domestic investments. Where am I going with this? TD has in turn in the United States made such a presence that they're one of the top I want to say 25 banks in this country. Do we know what the dollars were in connection with that purchase? 26 billion. All stock. 
No cash, all stock. What do you got in your notes? If we look at paragraph 22, entitled Losses Due to Extraordinary Events, one of the things that jumped out at me here is it says, we are not responsible and you agree not to hold us liable for losses caused directly or indirectly by conditions beyond our control, including but not limited to. Then it gives a laundry list. War, natural disasters, government restrictions, exchange or market rulings, strikes, interruptions of communications or data processing services, news or analyst reports, market volatility or disruptions and orderly trading on any exchange or market. Now, what surprises me about that language is it's very old. One of the things we've seen in these, what we call force majeure clauses, in which we're assuming no liability, certainly post-COVID, we're seeing pandemics uh, or even epidemics be baked into this language in which you can't ultimately hold me accountable. The other omission that I thought was interesting, which was a big deal after 9-11, I remember, was acts of terrorism. If you remember, the first thing I started with was war. But war usually, at least in the United States, of course, requires a formal declaration by Congress. So, you know, Charles Schwab, multi-billion dollar institution, people there that I'm sure that, you know, an entire legal team that's ruminating over this. And I say to myself, why on earth are pandemics and acts of terrorism not included in that exclusion language? I don't have an answer. No, I think that you did give the answer when you say it hasn't been updated in quite a while. At least that provision hasn't. And so to the extent that anyone at Charles Schwab is listening, that one's on the house. Call me for your other external legal needs. I'll be happy to help. I want to remind people that you're a lawyer, but you are not their lawyer. <laughs> at least not yet. That's our investigation for today. If you've got questions or comments, go to the show page, whatsinmyula.com. You'll also find links and resources there that will put you in touch with Joel. You're Kidding Me, That's In My Eula is a weekly production of The Sourced Network, where you'll find our growing list of podcasts, including It's 505, The Daily Cybersecurity and Open Source News, Real Technologists with host Trace Bannon, and a bomb with host DJ Schleen. Special thanks today to Katie, that's with a D, Katie, that's with a T, Edwin and Tracy for the awesome voiceover talent. Music today is provided by Hashout at Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. A final word from Joel. Hey, I'm a lawyer. I find the issues we talk about on this podcast to be interesting. But under no means am I your lawyer. At least not yet. If you're interested in having me become your lawyer or otherwise want to talk about some of these issues, you can. You can reach me at my email, which is available in the transcript of this podcast.